0: Welcome to the Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church Sermon Podcast. Each week we will upload the sermon that was preached during the Sunday morning service at our new Buffalo campus in hopes that it will serve you well during the week. So sit back, relax, and may you be encouraged by the great hope you have in Jesus Christ as you listen to the preaching of God's Word. So I'm sporting the, uh, the new pastoral apparel for the month, evidently. Um, as Pastor Mike said last week, yes, this is the reverse card in UNO. Um, in the case, if it gets played on you in UNO, that's bad. However, we are using it in a sense where it is good, okay? So this reverse card is the one that Jesus is playing, and he's playing on evil. And that's good, right? Amen. That was pretty weak, but it is good, okay? That's pretty good, right? Yeah. Okay, it is, that's, and that's what this series is about. So we call it Reverse the Curse. But it's really the promise of Christ from beginning to end. So it's not about you. I love stories. I love good stories. I love, I really love, good, true stories. And that's what this is. Uh, we're doing a stopover at David's here today. But it's it's pretty audacious to think we're gonna we're gonna try to get this whole thing in four weeks. But what we want to show is that this has been God's plan all the way along from the very beginning. And so at the risk of it being too much and the risk of me being old school and trying to use a whiteboard, uh, we're going to do it. My Green Bay Packer fans yelling me not to touch it. Oh my God. Lord, the harassment I receive. All right. It's part of the curse. It is part of the curse. I, so you guys can't see that I know. I'm sorry. This is just what we got today and we got to live with it. We got to laugh a lot, right? You got to laugh a lot today in life, but we are talking about some very serious things that actually should be the things that really make us hope the most. So we're we're trying to think through this story, the whole thing. Boy, that's really hard. You guys can't see it. I'm sorry. So here's what I'm going to do. We've already done Adam. We've already done Abram. We're getting to David today. What we're trying to show is this has been God's plan from the beginning. The promise of a deliverer, one who's going to reverse the curse. It's what we've always looked for. It's what Israel's longed for. It's out there. So here's how I put this visually because some of us, oh, these stories, I can't get them in order. I don't know how they go. So I tried to do it this way. We're going to start with Adam. I'm just going to review. These are some of these key scriptures. And Abram, we're going to get to David. Now, David, but once we get to David, it looks backward and it looks all the way forward to Jesus. So from David on, in your worship guide, I hope you have one, in the back page where you can take notes, there's about four or five scriptures there. I'm going to refer to them along the way. Um, I'm reading a short portion of them, but you could read them longer. Like I got Psalm 89 in there. A couple, You should read the whole Psalm. But I, I put them in there so you don't have to worry about taking But these are going to operate like, um, I saw Rhonda, like, a, like in a garden, we have those pavement stones sometimes. These are going to operate like pavement stones Walking through, it's gonna continue the story unto Jesus, and it really goes beyond. There's a couple phrases that I want you, to, I just, like, this morning stuff was exploding to me. Like, there's no way I can capture it all, but there's some phrases I want you to see, um, but, but, but mostly it's this. This is God's plan. It's the hope for the nations. It's hope for you and I. I just wanna say, I love stories, especially true ones, and this one's immense. i I'm want to tell you this. Not in your entire lifetime will you get done exploring this. So we we go to the nativity part, you know, Luke one, Matthew. You know, you will not get done exploring this and the wonder of Jesus and a God who is mighty and merciful. So let's pray for His help right now, Lord. As we sang it. We're asking that right now that our hearts, our minds, our very beings, our souls would prepare room for you, and that you'd speak widely. It would be beyond the words that that come out of my mouth. It would be that which would be of a spiritual dimension that is of you. It'd be that which would cause change within us, a transforming change by the Holy Spirit, Lord. We submit to you as your people. If there's anyone here that's yet to be awakened with your life, God, let this be the day. Thank you for your might. Thank you for your mercy. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, let's go back and review. I'm going to tell these parts. Come down here. Sermon number one was, here we are in the garden. How we are all made to be walking with God. This unbelievable, uninterrupted fellowship. Face to face, no evil. And that all gets interrupted in chapter three when the serpent, Satan, Revelation is one place where it speaks of him being the ancient serpent, comes in and deceives. That's what he always does. He's a deceiver. He will uh, try to cause you to doubt God's character, who he is, what he's... Basically, they're doubting God's word in those moments, and they do exactly the one thing God said they didn't need to do. They experience the consequence of that sin. So we see that there is, when we say curse... What is cursed is Satan is cursed and the ground is cursed. This ground, what they are to be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth and, and, and work it and all this and have dominion over it, that's cursed. And we see there in that text the pain that comes to them. Remember the three pains? The woman will have pain in childbirth. There will be relational pain in marriage. And the husband will have the man, the way it says it, will have Pain as he works the ground. Three of them there. But it's not without hope. That's verse 15. Do we have that one? 15? Oh, awesome. So in the midst of all that consequence, there's this whisper of the gospel. It is, I will put, he's speaking to the serpent. God says, I will put between you and the woman, enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head. I love the way Mike said it last week. Satan will, uh, what was it, uh, what do you say about the heels? Nip at your heels, he said, nip at your heels, but you, your seed, will bruise his head. The way Romans says it, it's crushing his head. That's what Jesus, the seed, will eventually do to Satan. Well, there's, um, there, there's a whisper of the gospel of that. There's, there's this promise of one who will crush the serpent said, crush evil, reverse the curse. But all the way along in this story, the way this goes, you want, okay, it was said, who? Who is it? Well, we see Cain killing Abel. Unthinkable in terms of what's going on. Uh, their next son, Seth, it's not Seth. We get to the time of Noah, where evils rampant across humankind, so that God destroys it. Maybe, maybe he's starting over with Noah. Maybe it's Noah, and it's not Noah. We go all the way to right up here. I don't know if you remember this. Right before Abram is the Tower of Babel in chapter 11. you remember how that goes? See, God had said to be fruitful and multiply be spread throughout the earth. You know what they go like? We better build a tower for ourselves because we don't want God spreading us around. We want to keep right here and make a name for ourselves. You ever argue with God? Bad idea. (laughs) You ever like... (laughs) Let me say this one. God invites our honest questions. But when you're fighting God, let me tell you who wins. And they're just fighting and saying, we're going to build this tower. So, and so what's he do? He didn't come down and punish them. He just changes their language so they can't communicate. And, they, and They're all over the place. There's, there's great humor in Scripture. But in chapter 11, they're basically saying, we are not going to do what God has said. We're not going to be, subdue the earth, but we're going to, right here. We're going to make a name for ourselves. not God's name. So then right after that's when God calls Abraham. and we saw this, where he leaves his country, he follows God, and here we have what we call sometimes the blessing of Abraham. Do we get 12, 3? So you could read, there's a whole bunch here in 12. I'd, I'd read the whole first section. and Actually, I'd read chapter 17 also, where God's reaffirming a, a promise, a covenant, but he says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you will, I will curse. And here's the phrase, I underline, and in you... All the families or nations of the earth shall be blessed. What is that? Last week I heard Pastor Mike point it it out that from Galatians chapter 3, and a couple who see the way the New Testament understands it, that is the gospel announced and advanced that's in in you, in that seed. Actually, that seed is Jesus, Galatians 3 says. And that part about blessing the nations, that's that sense of connection. With how, how are they blessed? Evil's going to be crushed, and it's somewhere in the seed. Now, let me tell you, this story develops along. There's not a chance Adam understood all this. There's not a chance Abram understood this at the time. But that's how stories unfold, right? Here's this little bit of plot. I wonder what's going on. See, we're sitting over on this part of history over here watching this thing. So we got a fuller revelation as Jesus explains it, the New Testament writers explain it. But over here, they're just in the middle of it going like, who is going to end this evil? I'm so tired of this evil. Who's going to end it? Who's going to reverse the curse? Who's going to crush the serpent's head? Who's going to be the deliverer? And all the way along, that's what Israel's looking. But from this point, God starts building a people. He says, it's in you. And what he's building is not an ethnic family, but a spiritual family. That's who are the true children of Abram. We're going to study Galatians later in the year and it's powerful that way. All right. So what goes on from Abram to David? So we, we, we have these promises. We realize it's not Abram's son, Isaac. It's not his son, Jacob, who's later named Israel. That looks hopeful. It's not him. It's not Joseph who delivers them. I mean, Joseph is raised up as a deliverer. It's not Joseph. And then... We've got the whole nation of Israel, 400 years of slavery in in, in Egypt, and God raises up a deliverer, Moses. Maybe it's Moses, you know? And so Moses is the one who God raised up and brings the people out. They come into the wilderness, and think what they experience of God in the wilderness. I mean, 40 years, and their clothes don't wear out. How about yours? 40 years they are fed. They have a meal every day, more than that. I have trouble preparing when my family goes camping to have enough food for all my family. A million some people, God feeds them, he clothes them, he shows himself to them. He's delivered them already through the demonstration of the plagues, through the parting of the Red Sea, and now he gives them the law. And the tabernacle. They learn of the holiness of God. They learn of the gravity of sin. They learn what God is like in there. And Moses is leading them all the way. Certainly it's Moses. He's the deliverer, right? Isn't it crazy? Moses leading the people all that way. He leads them to the land that God promised Abram and Moses doesn't even get to go in because of his own failings. It's interesting when you just follow the story all the way through, The Old Testament saints, they all got flaws like us. They all got sins along the way. Here's one thing I want you to hear, and you'll see it in some other scriptures. Their failings, their sin does not revoke God's promise. That's the gospel. It does not. There's nothing that can revoke God's promise of the forgiveness of sins in Jesus. There's absolutely nothing. There's nothing that you can do that will do that. Now, what we need to do is turn to Him in trust and faith and repent and believe in Him. But you can't revoke it. And your standing before God is not based upon your performance, how well you just did last week. Won't change it. When He makes you His child, you are His child. That's, a, that's another story. But we see it all the way through in each one. There's Moses. So after Moses, we've got uh, oh his, his successor is Joshua. He's leading the people through, but Joshua dies out. And then we have the period of judges. You know how that goes. The phrase in the book of Judges is, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. How do you think that went? Sounds like our day, doesn't it? Just chaos. Spiritual chaos all over the place. That brings us then to uh, the period of the, of the kingdom. Israel wants to be like other nations. They want to have a king. So some people say, like, ah, that's where they really messed up, you know, because they want to have a king and be like other nations. That's true, But you remember in Deuteronomy 17 that God had already given them permission at this point that they could have a king. But he said they would be a king of my own choosing, God's own choosing, and it would be a king who would actually write for himself a copy of God's law. Like he's journaling scripture. Why was that a requirement for this king? He'd have it in his heart. He'd be copying it down. It'd be, he'd be hearing it slow, it'd be in him, so that this king would rule according to God's word. He'd have God's mind and mind, God's heart. That's the kind of king God said would be okay. All right, so I want to ask you a different question. What's the best form of government that you know? Thank think I just get a little laughter. The other campus, I got lots of laughter. I don't know why, but what's the best form of government you know? So uh, democracy's pretty good, huh? Except for people. We got crazy people to vote. Us, <laughs> we're deciding our own whatever. Okay, democracy. You talk about all the human forms of democracy. I'm, I'm pro. I mean, that's, it's a it's a decent form. I mean, you, I mean, ten days ago I was in another country and like I see their government. Like we what we got is a whole lot better than what they got. And there's so many people trying to get here for a reason. I mean, almost every nation wants to get here. There's a reason. Okay, but I'm going to tell you, democracy is not the best form of government. You know what it is. It's a monarchy with an almighty, all-powerful, totally good king, which there is not in humanity. (laughs) Imagine this, a king that loved his people, a king that had all power, has all wisdom, actually has the good of his people in mind all the time, has compassion on his people. Even a sacrificial kind of love. Sound like anybody you know? When Jesus rules, it will be incredible. But is a a truly good, benevolent, almighty king? And that's what will come in the promise to David. But all the way along, we've looked for that one. We don't get those kind of human kings because they are infected with the same condition of self-interest that you and I have since our brother Adam. It's just there. We're all tainted. So let's think about David. You remember David's beginning, right? So when God calls David out, he's actually going to the uh, prophet uh, Samuel. And he says to Samuel... Um, hey, I'm rejecting Saul. I'm going to make a king for the nation. He's going to come from the family of Jesse. Jesse's got, I think he's got like seven sons. I, something like that. So uh, Samuel shows up there and uh, they, they call the sons in. And uh, Samuel, like, he looks at the firstborn. And he goes like, that is, that's got to be the guy. So again, they're all looking for who's, who's this, this, that's got to be the guy. Samuel loves the firstborn. Everybody loves the firstborn except for the secondborns. Um, they, don't, they don't really care for him that much, you know. But guys, nope, not him. He goes down the line, second more, not him. Not, I mean, All the way down the line. All the way down the line. Last guy. It's not him. And he's like, God told me it's one of these sons. So he goes to Jesse, he says, hey, you got any, I mean, do you have any more, where, do you have any more sons? It's like it's an afterthought. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's uh, uh, d- d- David. He's out with the sheep. Well, go get him because we're not having a meal until he gets here. David comes in, and God's just the guy. David, just in terms of the family structure, he's down at the end of the, the line. He's not considered much by the rest of the family. And this is the one that God's anointing. You know, well, you remember how the story goes with how God does this in David's life. Uh, most of us as kids remember David and Goliath. But what that story is about is this guy that God is forming. See, while David's a shepherd all that time, he's learned about how God cares for his people. The shepherd to sheep. That's why he writes Psalm 23. David experiences real danger throughout his life. We get it documented probably more than any other person. Some of that is out there in the pasture when it's lion and bear. But he learns of God right out there. When Goliath comes, it's the Philistine army. And this is kind of like this giant champion. All of Israel's petrified. And when David shows up, his brothers are ticked that he's there. I mean, he's, he's actually bringing... It's kind of a funny story. He's bringing cheese to the, the captain. His, his brothers are mad at him because they think he's just trying to get out of work. You left the sheep. I know. Like, you know I was trying to get out of work. and he's, You just want to see the action. He goes, no, no, i was supposed to bring this. But David, while he's there, he hears Goliath come out and defy the living God. And David's incensed because he knows this God. He knows what he's like. He knows what he's been like when he's been in the past. And he's like, he's just looking around for who wants to go get this guy. You cannot say that about my God. And David gets out there, and he, he said, it's not because David thinks he's great. David goes like, the Lord will give him into my hand, just like he gave the lion and the bear. He's got a track record of God's faithfulness in his life. He's, the Lord will do it, and he goes out there and defeats, you know, he's got these stones. What's, what's the odds here? The Lord is doing the whole thing, defeats Goliath, and from that point, David's trajectory changes he comes into the palace, he's, you know, he's a musician, he, helps, he serves King Saul, he becomes a captain in the army as he grows, he's defeating all kinds of enemies, people love it. This has got to be the guy. I mean, he's defeating enemy after enemy. This has got to be the guy who's going to reverse the curse. It's got to be. And God eventually removes Saul, makes David king. And we're thinking, and David, David's enemies, they're just getting knocked over all over the place. This has got to be the guy. 2 Samuel 7, that's where I want you to turn. I'm going to read a portion of this. But David is now king. He's been following the Lord faithfully. And David wants to build God a house, a temple. He's going like, God, you're, the Ark of the Covenant, it's in a tent. I've got a house. I want to build you a house. How, how, how bad of an idea is that? that? That's a good idea, right? That's what it sounds like. You ever had a good idea and it's not God's idea? Oh, here it is. So I'm, I'm going I'm to tell you this and we'll pick up the reading in a little bit later. But uh, verse 4, the Lord comes to Nathan and basically says this, Would you build me a house? I, n- I never asked for that. Nathan, you go tell David this. I mean, I tell David that I took you from the pasture, from being a remote unknown shepherd to being the king of Israel. I've been with you the whole way through every enemy, every danger. David, I will make your name great. You don't need to worry about making my name great. I'm almighty. You kind of go like, whoa. All right, you ever had an idea that you thought was good? It just wasn't God's. God says, I'm going to make your name great. Same thing God said to Abram. I'm going to bless you. Those who bless you, I'm going to bless you. And it's in you, the families of the earth are going to be blessed. I'm going to make your name great. And he's starting to say this to David. I'm going to make your name great. You don't need to worry about making me great. I've never needed your help. I'm the initiator. I'm the one who does that. Friends, this is how salvation works. We were dead in our sins. God's the one who made us alive. God is the initiator. God is the pursuer. For all the good in us, it's still tainted. God's the only one who's truly good. He's almighty and he's merciful. He has provided for us one who will reverse the curse, a true deliverer. He's the one we need to know and submit to. And it's all throughout Scripture. Here's what he says to David, verse 12. I'll read 12 to 17. This is the promise. David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish a throne of his kingdom. How long? Forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But, notice this, if you got your Bibles underlined it, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. This is gospel. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure how long? Forever before me. Your throne shall be established. How long? Forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Do you get what God's establishing? Is God's covenant. This is promise. He actually knows that David's children will fall away. It's not going to change God's promise. Friends, this is the gospel. It's who God is. is how he works. Now watch, look, I don't have these verses up here. Look how David responds. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I? Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord. You've spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is instruction for mankind, O Lord. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord, because of, your, because of your promise, according to your own heart, you've brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God. For there's none like you and there's no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. It's David's response to God, This is what we call the Davidic covenant. And you'll see it throughout scripture. All the prophets knew that this serpent crusher, the deliverer, is coming from David's line. They all knew it. They're looking for it in Jesus' day. It's his promise. Now, what I'm going to do is just look at how this envelops the rest of the way. And this is what I'm going to use these other scriptures. It is 1,000 years from David unto the time of Christ. So turn in your Bibles to, um, to Psalm 89. Oh, I should say this. So we wonder if it's David. I skipped something. So you remember David's sin with Bathsheba. That David's an, an adulterer and a murderer. This is crazy about God. It does not revoke God's promise. There's, there's, there's a consequence. David's forgiven, read Psalm 32, Psalm 51. It's a very helpful in terms of repentance because right here in this room, we got, we got big sinners, right? We're not small sinners, we're big sinners and we need this mercy of God. So read Psalm 51, read Psalm 32 and be amazed at the mercy of God and that's what we need to all turn. But it's ama- it does not revoke God's promise. Here's what's even crazier. Solomon, the next king, who's his mom and dad? You know, David's got a couple wives as king. He's not supposed to. It's David and Bathsheba. Why doesn't God choose a different woman? Why is it Bathsheba? Do you know another one of their children? You know what they name him? Nathan. Nathan's the prophet who went to David. What's going on? I'm telling you, there's a story of God's mercy all throughout that that does not make human sense. It just is who he is. With a God, our sin does not revoke his covenant, but we got to turn and submit to him. That's the deal. Your sin is not too great to overcome his mercy. That is magnifying your sin over might, mighty and merciful God. That's the gospel. Religion tells us it will only happen if I perform well, and all that does is turn us into hypocrites and Pharisees. Can't do it. We need his might and mercy. We need to give it to others. We need to forgive others as we've been forgiven. That needs to be embedded in our lives. We need to love others the way we've been loved, and it's self-sacrifice and love. That's unlike anything else. That's how his kingdom rules in our heart. These threads are all throughout every story of the Bible. Solomon fails. He has a thousand wives. Holy smokes. They're all from foreign countries. They worship demons. Solomon falls away. By the time of David's grandson, it's a civil war. The kingdom split. Are you serious? The promise is here by David's grandson. The kingdom split. And from that point on, you got four or five hundred years of spiritual chaos going on. You get most of the nation following pagan gods. Okay, these other gods are demons. And when you read it, they, you know they have child sacrifice to these demons. So people go like, man, I can't believe the Old Testament has them killing all these people. They're sacrificing their children. They're not like good people. It's just like... We read with a 21st century arrogancy when we read Scripture. We just don't see how merciful God has been to all of us. The kingdom's split. You have very few kings that are good that come back with reform. And what you have most of this time, so they're going to they're gonna go into captivity. We just did Daniel. It's God's discipline on them. When the temple's destroyed, you know, many of them are taken out for to Babylon or whatever. It's just a it's a really sad period. But along the way, you know, what you have written the portion of the Bible that's written during the captivity, it's the prophets. Did we have an Advent reading today? No. Okay. So, the prophets are continually. A lot of times we do Advent readings. It's the hope of the promise to come. It's always in veil, it's in uh, poetry. It's in veiled language. The story develops. I kind of like a simple math program, just do it like this. That's not how this unfolds for us. It's got intrigue, it's got curiosity, it's supposed to pull us in, we're supposed to see things later. God's that big. And that's how this is. All right, so Psalm 89. Oh, this Psalm, is so if you have your Bibles open, it says it's written by Ethan, who is an Ezraite. so this is probably written... Oh, it's back over here. Maybe 500 years. It's while they're in exile, okay? But he's referring to the covenant to David. And I'm just going to get this part. I want you to see what he's doing here. Uh, I'll just read it. my steadfast love. I will keep for him forever. It's talking about David, and my covenant will stand firm forever. I will establish his offspring forever. Keep noticing the forever, forever, okay? And his throne as the days of the heavens. If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commands, then I will punish their transgression with a rod and their iniquity of stripes. But I will not remove my, from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithful witness. Hang on a second. You, see what you just said? When they sin, they're going to get punished. But I am not removing my steadfast love. A father disciplines the one he loves. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn to my holiness. I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me, like the moon, it shall be established forever. A faithful witness in the skies. Here's what I'm putting up here. Stepping stone, pavement stone. Ooh, I got bad writing. Psalm 89. It's written quite a while after David, but what it's referring to is this covenant right here. It actually talks about David's children sinning, but it will not change my promise. Listen to this, friends. God has a plan. Oh, I am really off my notes. Oh, that's where I am. I'm already there. Okay, there it is. God's faithfulness to his promise doesn't depend on us. It just doesn't. He's going to be faithful. And we see that they get punished when they sin, but God's going to still be faithful. Doesn't that actually give you some hope? Romans 8, the end of Romans 8, there is absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Nothing. The word nothing, in the Greek, it means nothing. Absolutely nothing. Nothing seen, nothing unseen. He says it thoroughly. Do you believe that? When you submitted to him, you're a child of his, there's nothing that can. Too many of us live around in guilt and not the freedom of the gospel that it should have. We don't live with the freedom that we're meant to in terms of loving one another. It's all here for us. Second one, Luke, next page, Luke 1. You guys know this story. Uh, this, is, this is Gabriel coming to Mary. I just want to point out the David language that's here. This is the covenant, the promise to David, Nothing can change that promise. Gabriel comes to her and says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob. How long? Anybody looking? What's the word? It's you know that word. That's it. It is forever. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary, this promise right here that I made, the one who's going to reverse the curse, the one who is actually in him, the nations will be blessed. Mary, she's here. What I said here, a thousand, it's coming to you. How much do you have to understand to follow Jesus? Mary, I mean, she was a theologian. She was a rock star in her a rabbi class. She's a little, she's a teenage girl. What's she know? She didn't, you don't have to know a lot. She comes and she says, verse 34, how will this be since I'm a virgin? The Lord says, it's going to be an angel. It's going to come upon you. What's going to happen? You're going to be conceiving by the Holy Ghost. And she ends up saying, verse 38, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. How much do you have to understand? It's not that much, but it's enough to turn and follow him in faith. Surrender it all. It's what she does. It's what David does down here. Next little stepping stone. Got to put her up here. Oh, turn to um, this in Jesus' ministry Matthew 22. I think I'm going to read verse 41 but I'm going to do a really interesting thing because Jesus does it. This is one that blew me away. Matthew 22. I'm going to read that. But Jesus quotes from Psalm 110, which is a Psalm of David. So you got to go, what's Jesus doing? So Matthew 22, uh, this is, you know, after the triumphal entry. So it's the last week of his life. And, you know, the, the Pharisees are like, they're on the rampage. They're trying to trap him. The the people want to follow him. People think he's Messiah. So he's already gone through a couple of these trap entrapment questions, and he he answers them. What he does right here is he turns the tables. Now let me ask you something. This is actually incredibly funny. Um, So I'll just read it as it is. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Every Jewish person knows this answer. They said to him, the son of David. Then it's kind of like, gotcha. He said to them, oh, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord? Now what he's going to say, he's quoting from Psalm 110. How is it that David calls him Lord saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool, I think is the next phrase. Uh, make your, put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he David's son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare question him anymore. What's going on here? This is fascinating. So I, I was studying, he's quoting this right here. <clears throat> so last week I was in another country with some guys, or 10 days ago and we were, we we're studying the Psalms, and my buddy says like, we we're supposed to do a session on Psalm 110. He goes, I don't want to do this one. I don't understand it. So it's like seven verses. Um, so that was just the first verse. When you read it, it's clearly all about Jesus. So a lot of the, the New Testament writers quote it. Hebrews does. Uh, it's in the Gospels. I think Peter quotes it at different times. It's really about when you but it, again, it's poetry. So poetry, you're going... What's, what's going on here? It's not like crystal clear. You gotta, but because Jesus quotes it and the apostles quote it and you see the last three verses are about the end. It's actually about Jesus' reign at the end when he, when he vanquishes evil and talks about judgment and so forth. But even the first verse talks about, oh, it talks about his enemies being, what was it? You remember the phrase? Under his feet. What's that allusion to? It's way back here, crushing under his feet, crushing the serpent's head. Now that language of him being under his feet, you're going to see it come out stronger and stronger. But this is one of the first places you see it. Jesus quotes it here about him. It's all about his reign and rule and that he's, crushed. he's the serpent crusher. But here's what he says to them. He just like, <laughs> so they keep trying to trap him. He goes like, okay, when David wrote this, how does David call his son? Lord, like his son is his master or God. How does he do that? The whole psalm is about Jesus. It talks about him being a priest by the, like in the order of Melchizedek, which Hebrews is talking about. It's Jesus, our high priest, the forgiver of sin. I don't know what I stepped on, but... Don't move, okay. But he talks about Jesus being our high priest. It's all, it's all about... The whole Psalms about Jesus. And, he, and he's coming... So when Jesus quotes it, What's he saying? Hey, who's, who do you think Messiah is? Son of David? Okay, then why does David say this? Jesus is saying, that's about me. And I preexisted David. How does David call him Lord? That's me. I was there before. And they're like, I don't know. It's all right there. And you read, go back and read Psalm 110. Read it and you're really like, yeah, that's about Jesus. There's no way. That's about Jesus all the way to the end, explodes. Friends, this deliverer, the one who's going to reverse the curse, the one who's actually going to conquer evil, this has been God's plan from beginning to end. And you will never get tired of studying the story and seeing things in in Scripture again and again. I'm skipping a ton of them. It's amazing. I'll just refer to this very last one from Ephesians 1, I want you to understand this, that Jesus is a king forever and he will rule with might and benevolence." So we've done Ephesians a couple of times. I'm just going to do. this is what, what Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter one. It's a prayer, and he's saying, I want you to understand this. I want you to understand that so this is after his death and resurrection. I want you to understand the kind of power that God has towards you who believe. Ephesians 1, 19. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward you who believe, and then he describes the power. It's the power that God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and he seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Here it is. Far above all authority, power, and dominion and above every name it's named, not only in this age, but the age to come. And he will put all things where? Where will he put all things? you uh, louder. Where we put all things? Under his, feet. Under his feet. Everything's subjected. All evil. You re- I'm skipping 1 Corinthians 15, which is the one on the resurrection speaks of death and how Jesus crushes our enemy of death. This is who he is. It's what he's came to do. I want you to understand the immeasurable greatness of his grace and kindness towards us. In Christ Jesus. So all this, friends, as we think about it, we celebrate at Christmas his first coming. He's coming back. There's a now and there's a then. We must see that. We must see how all-powerful he is, all of his goodness. He who's already conquered evil at his resurrection. He who's actually given to us his Holy Spirit that his kingdom might be established in our hearts and in our lives. He is the one who will reverse the curse. So the dimensions of it throughout the way his children live. And this promise of our deliverer, I want you to know this, it is for you and me. It comes by faith. How much do you need to know? How much did the guy, that little thief next to Jesus know? Not that much. He's got to Turn. And yield and surrender to him. Israel, for all of its history, has longed for this one. We all have longed for this one, even today. One who is the most benevolent, kind king, who has the good of his people to bless them. He loves his people with his life, and one day, all evil will be finally extinguished, obliterated, crushed from existence. Far from our memory. It's his first coming that we celebrate at Christmas. But friends, he's coming back. And he's preparing a people for himself. That's what's going on right now. Scripture calls this time that we live in, the last days. This is what he's promised. He's shown to be faithful to his promises all the way along. Do you think he's going to change somewhere? Nope. Not at all. So let me ask you, to, To those who believe, child of God, where do you need to just stop and take in this wonder that we've paused on for a little bit today? It's been less than an hour, but it's immense, isn't it? Where do you need to stop and take it in? What situation in your life is like, crowded this out, clouded it over? I just don't see this in my day to day, but it's true truth that Jesus is our deliverer, the truth of his incredible sacrificial love for you, that he's a crusher of evil, of death, and of Satan. Be renewed today by God's word. Hope in his promise. We can't change it. It doesn't depend on us. It's him and his character. And then, oh friend, let us walk by his spirit in the freedom of his loving relationship with you and I. For anyone that's yet to believe, There's always that space. I just want to ask you this. What are you putting your hope in? A self-ruled life. It's not life. just a different prison. Living under his kind authority. The only all-good, all-powerful, all-merciful king. That's where there is true life and true freedom. I, I think COVID should actually make us aware of such things the ugliness of humanity, the way the evil one preys upon our anxieties and our fears, what it means to yield and submit to him, it ought to, be, it ought to be more pronounced for us. And as we do, turn to him in faith. You'll know what that means when he says blessing. It's just his goodness coming to us. And it's living in a way that's actually free while we still live in a broken world. And he's building his kingdom in our hearts as we long for that ultimate day. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I know this was so much today. But I pray this. You'd give us a vision of you that's greater than we had before. You'd encourage our hearts in you. I trust that you know how to take your word and make it go the right way and that you'll do that now. Thank you. Thank you for this season and your word and your Holy Spirit and one another. Amen. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you would like more information about Sawyer Highlands Church and Converge Community Church and the service times for both campuses, please visit our website at www.sawyerhighlands.org.